Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. Who has time for intro music when we can just get straight to the interview? It's been a few months, I guess, since I've done one of these and uh, thought it was time. Um, and since I've been wanting to get back into homebrewing myself, I figured it'd be a good time to talk to brewers who don't work for a brewery, but still impact the industry in a very meaningful way. Happy to be joined now at Brewgrass Homebrew Supply in Louisville, Kentucky by the owner, John Renane of Brewgrass Homebrew Supply, and then Greg Butorin of uh, the Loggers Homebrew um, uh, Club here in Louisville as well. Um, thought we'd do something a little bit different today. Usually I talk to people that already uh, are in the, the brewing business uh, professionally, I guess. I mean, I guess everybody is in their own way, but... Um, That's the point that we're here to enforce. Exactly, yeah. 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 So yeah, I figured this would be a different kind of conversation to have, and also I just want to do a podcast. So. Totally. <laughs> Thought this would be a good one. Um, so guys, before we get too too much into this, and I should also say that John's also uh, part of an organization um, slash media company called Boy Meets Wart, who's kind of the, the media extension of the homebrew shop, and he can talk a little bit more about that. But if you could both just talk a little bit about yourselves and, and how you got into this world... And then also a little bit about the organization that you're representing tonight. Sure. Uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, my name is Greg Bittorin. Um Been uh, brewing for about four years now. Uh, I know it's not a lot, but uh, when you go down the rabbit hole, you move quickly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, been part of the Loggers Club, uh, which is our local homebrew club here in Louisville, for about the same amount of time. Um I mean, I, I remember like yesterday, almost like yesterday, uh, my wife moved here to Kentucky with me. And that same month, she said, I want to start brewing. I said, what? I've, we've never done this before. Where, where is this coming from? Um, and she's just always had an affinity for food and fermentation. Um, she is a microbiologist. Uh, so I kind of see where that gets, you know, where, where she's coming from. Uh, and I was fascinated enough. We uh, went to our local homebrew store at the time which was, uh, I think, I don't quite remember the name. Mild Kentucky Homebrew? Or wine, was it here in Louisville? It was here in Louisville. Winemaker Supply? It was Winemaker yeah, Supply. That's yeah. where I got my first kit 14 years ago. Or so however the hell many, 16, started on 17, yeah. DME, yeah. much like every homebrewer starts. And uh, I remember seeing the fermentation was just so mesmerizing. And I think to this day, one of my favorite things in the world is watching and hearing a healthy fermentation. Yeah. Um, and since that day, I was just hooked. Um, and then a couple months later, beer was done, and uh, we decided to venture out, see what other people were brewing, and we discovered the Homebrew Club uh, through Reddit nonetheless. And uh, we went to our first meeting. Everybody was very welcoming. Um, I think we met JD, who is... Used to be, I guess, uh, the the brewer for Cumberland. Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> he's he's on to better, bigger, and better things. But um, no better a person to meet at our first homebrew club because he just opened up the world to us. He showed us um, all about brewing from a high level, from a very experienced level, and uh, he he pretty much showed us that. Brewing is not just an art. It's very much a science, um, even down to the equipment. And as an engineer, that was very fascinating to me. Um, for Sarah, it was definitely very much the fermentation end. For me, it was the equipment end. But when you combine the two, uh, man, the world's your oyster. You can, yeah. <laughs> there's so many possibilities. Um, and uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what else. Yeah, that's, we got so hooked uh, that we both became officers of the club. Um, I've been president for a year and a half now. I was treasurer before then. Sarah's now tre gone on to be the treasurer, and uh, I don't see us stopping. John? Yeah. Uh, no, my, that that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I've never heard that exact like story of how you all got into it, but that's freaking awesome. And to nice. me, it just like reflects the fact that we all know that people love beer, and you can go into the drunken monkey hypothesis about like people's proclivity to alcohol detection and consumption but beyond that to me beer particularly goes deep into our roots of harvesting our own grains and 
figuring out how that chemistry works to turn it into fermentable sugars and then the whole mystery of fermentation and well you know you could even make an argument that that's what led us into understanding the microbial world in general which is to me that ties in that sciencey side so yeah yeah i'm i'm uh, waxing here but yeah i that is what fascinates me about it and that's what makes it fun to run the homebrew store on a day-to-day basis uh i had slightly less uh respectable reasons for getting into it i guess i started i made wine with my dad when i was a kid i guess just because he was into the whole home fermentation thing back in the 90s did or you whatever. get into wine or do you have wine as a kid uh i would get samples if i helped like crush the grapes <laughs> and clean the equipment you know i would get my little like half a shot glass full like on christmas or whatever uh yeah which i thought was tasted terrible but then at some point in the late years of high school uh you develop the desire for the forbidden fruit and so we wanted some beer uh, or something or whatever and we couldn't buy it at the store we moved uh, we went to the university of kentucky so i was living in an apartment with a couple of my buddies and we had this like recon mission to sneak into liquor barn and see if we could get out of there with a homebrew kit without them IDing us we thought that would be very clever and indeed, it worked. So then next time I went back to do laundry at my parents' house in Louisville, take a few carboys, take some of that fermentation equipment back to Lexington. And uh, once again, I'm sure you don't have too many like underage listeners. I'm not recommending this, kids. You're going to end up being like a homebrew store owner if you follow this uh, <laughs> advice, which I do not recommend. But anyway, we fermented out our own malt beverages and appreciated uh the effects that they had on us uh and also like developed a respect for alcohol a lot of our buddies would come over and be like oh you guys got booze woohoo be like hey back up guys relax this takes a lot of work everybody gets one and a half and you have to enjoy it and you have to appreciate it and uh yeah we've just been doing that ever since i suppose eventually went into kind of uh like a job in finance uh i guess when i was in my mid 20s and then when i was in my late 20s that job got consolidated uh to a european company which blah 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 corporate america like they all own each other and stuff so our office got closed and i didn't have a job Uh, as a home brewer i had a good connection at our local homebrew store which at that point was my old kentucky homebrew um so while i was looking for another job and like you know finance or blah 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 uh my buddy paul offered me a part-time gig helping out at the homebrew store uh almost from the first day working that job i was like jesus this is do you cuss on your podcast sure it's like this is fucking this is so much better than sitting in an office and then like wanting my weekends to be filled with making beer it's like oh now i'm just doing this all day well we can talk about the downsides of uh, mixing your vocation and your vacation later. But yeah, eventually that led to a full-time gig um, for personal reasons and for uh, financial reasons. He uh, closed that business about five years ago uh, and about four and a half to four and three quarters years ago, uh, not having a job, having a very particular set of skills and nowhere to take those skills. We opened up Regress Humber Supply uh, in uh, I think June or July of 2015. And here we are. Yeah. And then real quick, can you also speak on Boy Meets Wart? Boy Meets Wart is essentially just a media arm because brewgrass is so specific to Louisville and Kentucky and like serving the local community. Uh, Boy Meets Wart is also (laughs) separated just so I can do stupid shit that's not connected to our like actual business. It's just kind of our place to uh, show get very creative in sharing our love for craft beer and trying to promote Louisville as a beer destination, tap into the zeitgeist of craft beer lovers and uh, incept them into homebrewing culture. Um, And then just mostly to have fun with my friends. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a ridiculous excuse to make YouTube videos. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And I've seen them. They are quite ridiculous. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, The the next question I'm going to be asking both of you slightly with a different variation, but um, John, I guess we'll, we'll ask you first, but, and this is a very macro level of, of this discussion. We're going to get into some nitty gritties type stuff in a minute, but for right now, to do, just to get this off the bat, you owning a, a homebrew shop, you see people come in throughout the years. You've owned it almost five years now. 
you've seen people, seen people come in, try it, fail, get frustrated, never come back in. But then you also come in, uh, you also meet the individual that comes in once, and then like you see them every month after that. Wrong, Michael. No, no, not at all. You'll be amazed how easy it is to make your own beer. The 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 point of contention is never that you like make your first batch and it just turns out to be like garbage water. That's like the Mister Beer generation of home brewers. These days, you can honestly come in and spend a hundred bucks. And I mean, that's kind of one of my main like sales pitches. In fact, that I'll tell people is like you'll be you'll be astounded by how easy it is to make stuff. And you're like, Jesus, I made this tastes like beer. We had a guy just the other day who was like. I guess maybe about, well, I guess six weeks ago, he came in to buy his first kit. He works for the Louisville Police Department, and he was like, I don't feel very confident. I'm not, like, real good cook or whatever. But he was, like, asking me a ton of questions. We probably talked for, like, an hour. I was like, dude, you got this. Just, like, think about, it like, making macaroni and cheese. Go home. You're going to make a batch of tea out of these grains. You're going to boil it. You're going to add hops. You're going to just put it in your sink, just run cold water around it, and forget about it for a couple hours. Come back. Dump it out in this bucket that you rinsed out with this other liquid. Forget about it again for like two weeks. Then put it into bottles and then try it. Bring it in and let's talk about it. Well, I think yesterday, today's Tuesday, right? Yeah, yesterday he brought it back in. We made a Blondale. And he's like, dude, <laughs> this tastes like beer. This is really, really good. Like, what? So I dispel everything that okay. you just said. That That's totally fine. We'll, we'll throw away the, the claim that I just made. However, you yeah. probably see people come in more than, than others. Uh, and the people that come in a lot over the years, maybe they've gone to getting paid to brew for, yeah, we for, def- a, for yeah, a local yeah. brewery. 100%. Uh, and you see that transition happen from what we'll call it amateurism to professional, despite whatever. I just call it five gallons to five barrels. <laughs> I like that. All yeah. right. Uh, you, you see that transition happen. Can you speak on that a little bit? Totally. Well, if you want to get a job at a brewery, and if that's your ambition is to create a career for yourself in the brewing industry, number one, uh, you need to reevaluate your priorities. Uh, you need to uh, evaluate your choices in life. That's a terrible idea if you want to make money. But if you want to actually be um, involved in something that you're very passionate about, yeah. And whether or not you want to get a job as a master brewer somewhere or open up your own brewery with some partners or, you know, mono a mono to the consumer the first step is making a batch of extract beer just like greg was talking about a little bit ago mastering those fundamentals uh understanding at the very onset the importance of things like sanitation and uh yeast management and then temperature control and then you know the list goes on and on and on into it yeah quick so kind of segueing off that you don't mind i have a quick question for john a lot of homebrewers, they either you know start knowing what they what kind of styles they want to make. Um, for example, when we first started, we weren't craft beer aficionados. We weren't craft beer nerds. Same. We didn't know what styles were out there. We weren't drinking good beer. Um, so our first couple of batches, we might have thought were amazing at the time, but you're right. I mean, they would likely were garbage water. Um, and nowadays you have every craft brewery pumping out some amazing beer, incredible styles, incredible beers, and it's so accessible. It's on the shelves. You can see it in front of you. You can see the change happening every single year. How do you approach a new home brewer that knows their beer and expects something good on their first try? Yeah, demystification is like what I think because I really, I truly believe that if you have a respect for sanitation, so three things, I suppose sanitation, temperature control, and patience are the three things that I always try to like reinforce to anybody who's trying to make their first batch of beer and have it come out to taste like something they could get at their local brewery uh, or brew pub or whatever, their, their preferred craft beverage. If you can do those three things, I think it's a lot easier than people think it is uh, from the outside to make stuff that is within a derivation of the stuff that you can get at the best brewery in your city. To to Greg's point, I, I fall in that camp. I, I've made beer that 
I, you know, I, it just sucks. It, and then all of a sudden I have 50 bottles of it. And I look at the cost that went into it and the time that went into it. I was like, I could have just gone to this brewery down the street and got something. Did you come here? No, I think come was, to Brewgrass Homebrew Supply. We'll set you up. <laughs> I think it was last. I think that I having think a person to talk place. to, having so you shouldn't feel like you're on your own. Maybe that's another way to answer that question. Yeah, if you're just out there into the in the ether, like reading. Okay, he, oh, ooh, here's another whole wh- like, avenue of conversation. Bad advice on the internet. Oh yeah, and that's yeah. a reason you should join a local homebrew club and actually have people to talk. So about. So I can't just rely on Reddit. No. Well, no, <laughs> no, you cannot. You can, but not only or. Only, but be willing to uh, go through a few iterations of that information passed through your own experience and failure. But having a local homebrew store, having a local homebrew club, not feeling like every beer is like your child that needs to be sent to all the best schools and to ultimately become the president of the United States. Like, this is beer. People have been making it for 10,000 years. It's barley soaked in water. If you're lucky, it gets boiled to sterilize it. Hops or other like flavoring or bittering compounds are added. Tony Stark did it in a cave with a bucket of scraps. Yeah, precisely. That's is, this is exactly what I'm saying. So, but also having somebody to talk to, like when you're like, "Hey, I think something weird's happening. Should I continue messing with it? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I keep opening it?" And somebody's like, can actually feed back into your experience. So. If you're starting with your first batch of beer, reach out to the local people who do it. Or if you are separated or isolated from like a local community, going on Reddit or uh, homebrewtalk.com or like any of those forums and DMing people. Homebrewers are pretty friendly. And once again, this is a tradition, you know, just like uh, the, the Carl Sagan model of reproduction, which is like every one of your ancestors who's ever existed back to the mitochondrial bacteria has found a way to successfully reproduce leading to you the same thing with beer this is a tradition that got discovered i mean optimistically 10,000 i don't know if that's optimistic or pessimistic but conservatively 10,000 years ago it probably goes back even closer to 20 or 40,000 years ago people have been doing this for a long time it's not that hard so reach out and like take advantage of your community because to me that's what beer is all about and that's what separates the person just you know sitting around uh, slugging back whales from the person who is getting involved in understanding how the beer is made and talking to the people who made it whether or not that's at your local brew pub or whether or not that's at your local like homebrew club meeting to the home to me it all seems like kind of the same thing. To your point, I feel like you do get your bad, your share of bad advice on the internet, um, and a lot of that surprisingly gets transferred over to the pro side. But you'll learn very, very quickly that you can't make those mistakes. You can't either can't afford to, or um, they're just plain embarrassing. Uh, so, you know, you you either learn at an accelerated late rate, or you make some mistakes and maybe. The next batch of beer will be a month from now or maybe three years from now because you were so fed up with with failing. But um, ultimately, you'll go back. You'll, I guess, brew another batch of beer knowing what you should not be doing. And I think that's half the, the struggle with brewing. Yeah, totally. And then, Greg, with the, with the club, with bloggers, um, similar question I asked John a moment ago seeing any type of transitional period between what was the the terminology there a a five gallon bucket to a five Five barrel barrel system do do you see that happen through the club through the club absolutely i think uh, a lot of the local brewers here in town uh, have actually transitioned from being homebrew members or club members Um, specifically uh, we've had i think three members go pro within the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them's working on starting a brewery. One of them is a head brewer. Uh, and even uh, Leah, who is a past president for the club, has gone on to start her own brewery, uh, Apocalypse Brewworks. They make amazing beer. Um, I mean, she's even gone on to uh, becoming a master, or sorry, a national recognized judge. Um 
she put Kentucky, Kentucky Common on on the table totally. for yeah for for brewing styles. I mean, nobody's even heard of mm-hmm. the the style until um, she worked with uh, with Dibs on that and and put it on the map. And they're popping up like crazy now. I mean, you go on Milk the Funk, uh, you know, a, a really popular uh, funky sour, uh, I guess, group on Facebook. Um, there are constantly people talking about Kentucky Commons and whether or not they were sour. <laughs> and the threads are just pages long. It's, I think Louisville, specifically our club, has pumped out amazing brewers, very, very knowledgeable brewers. Um, actually, on, on the topic of um, on on judging, do you find a lot of homebrewers also find a niche in competition judging? It's a mixed bag. Uh, judging is not for everybody. Uh, as of late, we find that a lot of new brewers are they're not inclined to judge. They find it uh, a little intimidating. Um. I mean, speaking from experience, I, th- I thought it was intimidating as well until I tried it and I had a blast. And um, I think it's important to highlight that to, to people. Um, I think it's also important to, to, to note that, you know, classic styles change. Um, the guidelines to them change. What people consider a classic style to be changes. Uh, beer is very fluid. So if you're worried about judging something in particular, like a an IPA or a barley wine. I mean, a, a year or two from now, the definition of barley wine might be completely different. Hazy IPA didn't even exist right? like four or five years ago. Yeah. Sure. You can look at historical data, but uh, I mean, we can argue for days whether or not, you know, those beers were sour or what, you know, what level of oxidation they had in them. And does that impart the flavor? Mm-hmm. Those things aren't even considered in the, in the style guidelines. Do you have any comments on on beer judging? Yes. You're going to have to stop me at some point <laughs> or else I'm just going to keep talking. But I always find a very broad distinction in like uh maybe it is like a homebrewer thing. I don't know. I would just ask Greg what did you have a first book that you read when you like first got into it? Designing Great Beers. Okay. Who's do you remember the author of that one? I'm trying to remember. Oh, man. It's not John Palmer. No. I think I have it on the shelf, but I can't remember either. for it. I always draw the distinction between, like, the Palmerites and the uh, Papazians, Mm -hmm. between the people who are very analytically minded and who have very specific style guidelines in mind versus uh, the people who are more like, this is, I'm going to spill my personal bias now, but which is like, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew, which is... Maybe we'll call them like spirit brewers or something, for lack of a better term. But that's something that I see very frequently and uh, as a commonality, as as a dividing line. Not in that there's any friction, but just in between the different modalities and the way people think about beer, which is that it either has to prescribe or has to be in line with guidelines or, eh, beer it's like this it's more about the beverage than the expectations so i don't know i would just like that's just something that i see a lot right, that i would right. like to hear your feedback for on. the sake of competition i completely understand why you need to have some guidelines in place and and certain rules about certain styles otherwise the competition is going to be a hodgepodge of a mixture of all types of beer and people's tastes are so subjective you you, you know one person might like particular beer over another but if a rule say you know it has to have this level of happiness and this level of maltiness that's what you got to stick to even though you might not like the beer could still be a world-class style right um but to that point we're just in the last four years of me being in the club i've seen a transition of people bringing classic styles to meetings and suddenly we're seeing kettle sours with fruit and New England IPAs and barrel-aged stouts with cherries and just all sorts of different things that you don't really see in competitions. And we have a, uh, a competition, kind of meeting competition that we have every single month to see which beer came out as being the fan favorite 
um, for that particular club meeting, and it is almost always the beer that is not to style. Preach. So one one <laughs> one rule of thumb uh, that I have for a pizza place is that it's it's non sequitur. It's best to judge pizza by their cheese pizza. Sure, sure. Is there a style of beer that when you walk into a brewery, like if they can do a specific style well, oh, man. then all of a sudden you know that, all right, they know what they're doing? I think a lager is a really easy one because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many things that you can hide in a big IPA or a big stout that you can't hide in a clean, crispy lager. And if you can't brew a clean beer, a very light ABV beer, um, it's it's going to be really hard to, to hide things in there. Um, so I think that's always my go-to for judging a brewery. If I have a lager and, and it is clean and I don't you know see any flaws in it, um, then I know that their process is on point. Maybe the recipe's not on point, but I know their process is on point, which tells me that, okay, maybe they're not the best lager brewer in the world, but I can depend on their IPA. I can depend on their stout to be excellent. Mm-hmm. I 1,000% agree with everything that you just said, Greg. And I'm I fundamentally, <laughs> I have a fundamentally different approach. I don't give a shit how good your <laughs> beer is. I really just care about like the experience of being in the tap room, uh, which again, to me, maybe goes back to that like dichotomy of which I was speaking. Uh, to me, it's more about how you explain what you've made. Is what you're does what you're making have a story behind it? How is your bar staff like? You know, I'm just, maybe it's because I was a waiter all through college, and I'm just exceptionally sensitive to that serving people beer. Uh, but no, I don't give a shit about your beer as long as you're get, like providing a good experience. I don't think people care that much about what they're drinking. I don't think. The vast majority. I think that the beer nerd is a minority. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we're seeing a proliferation of dollars coming into craft beer, trying to bring it to a mass market, is because it's a good story. It's a it's a story that makes people feel like they're partaking in something niche or craft or with value, which they are. But to me, the communication might be more important than the product. Whether or not it's exceptional is besides the point. Well, so who defines exceptional? Right. Yeah, I mean, you're talking taproom only, right? Oh no, I have no. I don't. I like. Yeah, I don't know. So, if you are trying a beer that you've never had before, you don't have access to the taproom. You only have access to distribution. Then, how do you judge whether or not that brewery knows what they're doing or pumps out good beer? price point <laughs> i'm a cheap bastard that's why i'm a home brewer i mean yeah. i like feel like i feel like roger baylor right now which i'd never thought i would say but yeah i feel like the like curmudgeon uh about it which yeah i guess ultimately to me what it, it, it's the perceived it's the value add rather than the and that's not entirely true because i definitely do have beer that i like i'm probably tooting my own horn too much here let me think about that question honestly I mean, to your point, as a consumer, you're looking for the best quality product for the cheapest yeah. possible price, right? But novelty is another thing I will pay for. If there's a new beer on the market and I just want to try it and you know see what it's all about and then form my own opinion on it, like I'll, that, I'll pay for novelty. That's definitely for sure. I think I think a lot of people do. I agree. Um, so we, we we're past the point where I could ask a question about like resources as a beginner people know that already i'm curious about resources that you might have or pull from when you have a little bit more advancement in your knowledge base and your skill but like you still need help where do you go where does a home brewer go your, your local club for a second so as you're passing from like a home brewer looking to go commercial no, you're just really good now at this point, but there's some really crazy things that you're just like, huh, how do I do Failure. that? Failure. You just try it. Yeah. yeah, yeah I have to, to agree with that. that. I think that you have to be your own judge at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I have, I'm not going to say disagreements. What's a more like, what's a more pulled back word? Differences with about like, 
judgments or style guidelines. If you're okay, so I guess I think it was Kurt Vonnegut who said, when you're writing a novel, you have to write to one person. If you try to open a window to the whole world, you're going to catch the flu and die. <laughs> when you're trying to brew beer, have a person in mind, have a target in mind. Don't try to appeal to everybody. Don't try to appeal to the mass market. But if you're trying something new, either do it for yourself or have, like, my girlfriend is a good example. Sometimes I'll just be like, my girlfriend hates beer. Uh, so I'll be like, hey, I'll try to make something that you'll like. And if I can uh, check that box, that's like a, that's, that's a good, that's a success in my book. See, I feel like there's two sides of the spectrum for, especially for homebrewers, is you are either overly critical of your own product. Yes. Which, I mean, my wife's ripped apart our beers to the point where I've been in tears. <laughs> um, and then there's the people who might think that their product's the best thing in the world, and they'll have their friends and family try it, and they absolutely love it, but they won't actually tell you what they think. On a professional level, I think that's a little bit different, especially because you can just log in and untapped. And you're see tearing what apart my tearing. whole argument right now because what you're saying is 1,000% correct. You have to have objective feedback. Yeah, and I think homebrewers lack that so much. Yes. Even on a competition level, uh, I mean, I had a friend submit a Goza to a competition in the Goza category, and somebody marked them down for it being sour. For what? having a lactic infection. <laughs> yeah. What? That is... Okay, that's... A, that's not good feedback. It's not constructive. Um, that doesn't tell them why the Gozo was bad or what, what they could have improved upon. Um, and I guess you're not really going to get that kind of feedback from Untapped either as a professional. Um, but it will tell you whether or not you're, you're on the right mark. Um, as a professional brewer, you can brew that batch many, many times over. Um, especially if you're obsessed with a particular style and you want to perfect it, you're going to go through barrels of beer. As a home brewer, that might not be the case. You might only get the opportunity to brew once a quarter, once a year. Um, it'll be really difficult to perfect a batch that you only brew very, very rarely, um, especially because you want to try different things. You want to try different kinds of beer, so you might not be inclined to, to re-brew the same recipe twice. And to that point, I mean, I think there's only two or three beer recipes that we replicate uh other than that we try to brew something different every time and it's really difficult to perfect something when you're not brewing it over and over again mm -hmm. what makes a, a good home brewer and i don't necessarily mean like the the skills involved but like what what type of person is a good home brewer is this person analytical is this person somebody who frequents their local homebrew supply yes. store of course hell yeah but it really is, is is this person analytical and treats it like a science i don't know what makes a good podcast host mike i don't know it, well hey it's it's a i wouldn't know <laughs> all i'm saying is the proof of the pudding is in the eating and so to me like what makes a good uh, home, uh, beer is home right but uh, but are are they driven by being analytical are they driven by being an artist are they driven by being bored? Like, are they are they a nice person? Are they a curmudgeon? Like, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, when you look at the your, yes. your customer base, yeah, the answer is just y yes. yes, yes, yeah. Uh, some of the best home brewers I know, maybe people are who care, and some of them are nice. They, they, but they care about they, beer. They care. They take they take beer seriously. Um, I think what makes an excellent person is somebody that is willing to share their knowledge. Mm -hmm. and willing to help out others who seek help. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's that's a really good answer. I think I think that, to me, is more important than brewing better beer. Um, it is Maybe you're not the best brewer, maybe you don't practice what you preach, but if you're preaching good practice, I'm all for it. Yeah, same here. I think that's fantastic. Very, very, very well said. Thanks. What's the most underrated tool in a home brewer's utility belt? Or kit. <laughs> oh, I have a very good answer yes. to that question. The human tongue. Yeah, I was just it's thinking the too. most <laughs> precise. Like, you'll never get an instrument that can detect as many different flavors and levels of sweetness and bitterness and acidity and anything like that as your own palate will. So people always, you know, will call in or message or email and be like, "I think my beer's fucked up." I, I'm continuing to cuss on your podcast. That's fine. Um, it's like. 
well, why do you think that? Well, my hydrometer says it's like 1.021, and I think that's like not a great final gravity. Well, how does it taste? It tastes tastes pretty good, actually. It's like okay, there you yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think to expand on that too is uh, I forgot who said. I think it was Dr. Bamforth um, said you have to taste at every single step of the process. You can't just taste the finished product. You mash in, taste the wart. Half an hour later, taste the wart. You're done mashing, taste the wart. You want to taste your second second runnings? Do that too. If if you start doing that and you do that over and over and over again, batch after batch, you will start to pick up on the nuances. You will start to realize, okay, maybe you know I did something different this time and it tastes different this time. You might not see that in the finished product, but during the process, make a mental note. I hate myself for not being able to remember the source of this quote that I'm about to give. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, but the gist of it, and it'll be a paraphrase, is when winemakers have differences or mistakes in their process. They call it terroir. Uh, <laughs> beer, makers, beer makers just call it fuck-ups. Yeah. It's a, to me, it's a good quote. Well, I'll get the link to the person. We'll put it in the show notes. All right. That's, yeah, because it's, it's not mine. That's, that's a really good quote. So personal reasons aside, why would somebody not want to go pro? If you're a really great home brewer. Oh, man. Like, what, what issues with the industry do they have? I mean, do you want to talk about the hop farm decline, or do you want to talk about the fact that no one's farming barley anymore? Uh, do you want to talk about the fact that anybody and everybody just wants to drink IPA? I mean, the list goes Let on. Let alone running your own business, for God's sake. Like, just make money and enjoy the beer. Once you have a invested in, once you're invested in making it, you're not going to enjoy it anymore. Come on. Not as much, or not in the same way. It's it's backbreaking work for a low pay at an entry level. Yeah, I think that's a big turnoff for a lot of people looking to do it professionally, um, especially for the people that have, you know, actually gone to. This is not for to it. dissuade anyone. <laughs> like it's worth it if you really, 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 really want to do it. I wouldn't know, but I've seen people that have gone that path, and you know, a lot of them are struggling. Um, Many of them enjoy what they do, but that doesn't mean they're not struggling. So basically, if you don't give a fuck about making a lot of money, but if you really love beer and really want to do it, like it, ha- it's. I mean, it's a sacrifice. You're going to be trading off uh, some things you could do in normal society. Another reason to do it is if you have no skills to offer to normal society. Beer is. I mean, case in point. Here I am, the shining example. It's an industry you can go into where everybody's a little weird. Everybody's a little different. So you don't have to fit into a mold. Uh, and I think most of the people who are successful in this industry follow that uh, archetype to some point of the outsider of doing things a little different or just not being completely in line with normalcy. I mean, even... I mean, we can talk about for days about why not to brew. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are fewer reasons why you should brew professionally. Um, I mean, just the mental aspect of struggling with alcoholism is a... Oh, that's something I to mean, talk about. Yeah. There are brewers out there that do that do, do struggle with alcoholism. I There are brewers out there that I've never seen sober... Um, it, it's an issue that nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, they love what they do. And if they can overcome that and continue to love what they do, uh, kudos to them. I mean, that, that that's why you brew, right? It's, it's a tough topic to talk about. Yeah, it is yeah. a very tough topic. And even in like the bartending world and the restaurant world, that's it it goes on and on and on and actually to that point it's funny that we all kind of in in this industry we have our our personal checks and balances if we're good about it like <laughs> like you give yourself specific weeks off just yeah, to, sure. just to totally. make sure that you're still good yeah 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 totally yeah, just to see if you don't have a dependency yeah <laughs> right um uh, it's there are a lot of that's like, something that always i feel like develop like so it's very easy for me to come into work on Friday at 11 a.m. and have three people 
like sitting in their cars ready to drink beer like as soon as they walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Like that's a typical Friday or Saturday morning. And uh, with my Irish jeans is like once you get the party started, like you got to keep there's <laughs> I get sad if the alcohol doesn't keep coming into my body. Uh, but finding strategies to deal with that, like, whew, as long as you're in the same place, it's kind of okay. But what you don't want to do is allow that to be like starting to drive around town or like go out to these different venues or like want to get crazy with it. You have to find some way to curtail your own fun and your own freedom. And you have to become aware. I mean, I just think it's a thing that I see a lot around with people drinking and then going around. I think for, for people that start to brew professionally, and again, I don't brew professionally, so I don't have a leg to stand on here, but in my opinion, having an alternative hobby helps. Sure. Be it gardening, cooking, something to to do that isn't brewing, uh, to keep your mind off of things, and uh, maybe even expand on, on your social circle, because right now I can't tell you a single friend that doesn't... Yeah bring bottles to shares and my answer too and then we can lighten the topic hopefully but if you pull back the uh hop uh shelves back there you will find a hammock (laughs) so if it's ever like and i only live like six blocks away from here so it's not a huge commute but if it's ever like eh, go listen to a podcast and lay in the hammock for 90 minutes and drink some water so stay where you are friends stay where you are so, so Greg, yeah, to your point about having uh, an additional hobby as somebody that, that brews, I would actually suggest that for a lot of beer nerds out there. Uh, I feel like there are a lot of people out there uh, in the beer community that, you know, God bless them, they, they, they're very knowledgeable in their own right, but that's seemingly all they do, that's all they talk about, it's just... It always seems like it's it's a little much, and I'm always surprised. And and maybe I am making assumptions with some of these people that uh, I've run into across the country when I learn something new about them. I'm just like, oh, all right, I found out something something else about you other than just the beer that you had last night. Yeah, I mean, it, chasing the whale is its ho- its own hobby. I get it. You, people do it for different reasons. Either they want to try the best beer in the world, or they just enjoy the chase. Um. And, and surrounding yourself with the people that share your interests is very easy to do. Uh, and for that reason, I also think you need a different hobby. I, th- I think having a different social circle to escape from the world of addiction is important. So talk to me a little bit about how this local brewing community, and, and, and by that I mean like the, the breweries themselves, how they support each of your organizations do they to local breweries oh absolutely totally how yeah we we partner with several breweries here in town uh most notably apocalypse um i'd like to think it's because leah was a a president you know the president of the club and she loves us very much um but they don't have to do this uh they allow us to buy a lot of uh bulk ingredients from them which i know John is probably a sore topic for you. No, I mean, quite the it, opposite. It, I always worry that buying bulk takes business away from you, and I feel terrible about it. But hey, man, we're here at four and a half years, and we got the lights on. Yeah, we we're, we support that. Yeah, okay, makes me feel a little better. Every local Humber Club should. So if you're listening to this and you are involved or an officer in your local Humber Club. Petition your local brewery to do a bulk grain buy because oh, they absolutely. will do it. Yes. Yeah, it, it's so easy for them. I would to... do it if I had 300 extra square feet of space back there. Yeah. Well, when a brewery gets in several pallets of grain every week, it's easy to just tack on a third pallet or two, you yep. know? Um, so I, I think in that sense, they, they really help the club out a lot for, for the bulk grains. I know we still come to you for all the specialty stuff. and That's where we get you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they also do a lot of, uh, community outreach. They bring new members to the club. Um, we have our banner hanging at, at the brewery and I've noticed several times it's, you know, it started conversations. Um, 
and I think philanthropy is also huge within the brewing community. Uh, we try to do our part and, and give back. Uh, we participate in Yappy Hour every single year, which is an event hosted by Apocalypse, where the brewers come out, they brew beer, and uh, we actually legally brew it with Apocalypse, so we're able to serve it back to the general public. And the money that we raise goes towards the Humane Society. And I think that's such an awesome thing that the club gets to do um, solely because we are able to participate in this event as home brewers and sell our own beer. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, that's a pretty cool event. I agree. And we raise all this money, I mean, thousands of dollars every single year to benefit the Kentucky Humane Society. Not to mention that it's, like, really, really fun. <laughs> like, oh, that's absolutely. one of the most fun events of the year. There is absolutely no way that we can do this without Apocalypse. And we are very, very grateful for, uh, for them. Yeah. I suppose I would just tack on to that, that most people uh, are now having, like, Lord of the Rings uh, segues in my brain. But nobody starts out as, like, a Valar on the megalithic scale of beer everybody starts out as a hobbit at five gallons you know and everybody goes nobody just magically opens a brewery having never made five gallons of beer in their garage before or having employed someone that has done that very successfully for a long period of time uh consistently so gotta start small and if you're the kind of person that's like man i want to open a brewery the best step I think it's a Taoist idea, but not focusing on becoming the next apple of the beer world. Maybe that's Sierra Nevada, who knows, whatever. But basically trying to make five gallons of good beer. That's like one thing that you can focus on. And if you can do that, it's pretty easy to take the scale. I mean, we're seeing a, a huge trend of nano breweries popping up everywhere. And I think a lot of the homebrewers are making that transition to the pro side. Um, one thing that's always been on my mind is their level of knowledge and, and whether or not they're capable of making a quality beer. Yeah. Um, it's always kind of frustrating to see a new brewery pop up. They struggle with fermentation because yes. I mean, fermentation yeah, is a big one. Preach. If you don't know your yeast, right. you're, you're done. Um, and, if you get over that hurdle, you can become very successful. Um, however, you know, the, we're seeing these nanobreweries pop up. They come and go. and what Well, really you can also tell who, like, has... Again, I'm going to come across as, like, biased here. Uh, but you can tell who has more dollars than cents behind what they're oh, doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, they share their beer with their friends and family, and they yeah, all that's say that's ties back to what you were saying and, earlier. That's right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they don't have actual objective feedback to to make them a better brewer. But they do have a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> that can get you a long way, honestly. If you want to open a brewery, just get a fuck ton of money. Well, You're going to be on fine. On a nanoscale especially, yeah. it's so easy to do. Right. You know, all right, you spent yeah. $600 on a couple of stainless buckets and maybe two grand on a nice electrical system. So, you know, what's six grand more? Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. This, this could be a chicken or the egg type question. Yeah. Um, but we we've... Now, we're now at almost 8,000 breweries in the U.S., and that, and that number has grown just by 2,000 in the last two years, three years. Um, is this a result of people homebrewing years ago, like a, a growing interest in homebrewing years ago? And then also, will this cause another cycle of other people interested in homebrewing? Because all of a sudden, like, there's a brewery in three different directions on their block. I don't fucking know. Who knows? No one knows. The future is unwritten. Let me let me ask uh, let me ask this then. Not, not the future. Do you see in your shop, yeah, a rising number of customers interested in home brewing in the last year? Yes, yes. I would say actually. Let me revise that. So we see consistent new customers wanting to get into beer making at the rate of about ten percent per year, like new customers. Actually. If it if we're gonna take like the last three years, more like fifteen percent, like new customers who just want to make their own beer, we also lose about fifteen percent of our customers, like on a year to year basis, who are people who just like do it and then are like, eh, it's not for me. Um, 
0.001% of those people go on to open breweries. The strongest growth segment that we've seen this year is like people wanting to make, well, uh, three, kombucha, yeah. uh, wine, which is fantastic, and the biggest one by far, like this, is, it's insane, is mead. Really? Yes, brewers get into mead making. Braggots, do them, do braggots. People are into mead, uh, or at least that's what we're seeing here in our shop. Like I would say, one out of every five of our new customers wants to make mead. Uh, two probably want to make beer, and two probably want to make wine. If that so math adds that's up, eye opening. I think from a from a club perspective, um, we definitely see. I think it's Game a, of Thrones. Kind of, I don't, I don't want to say growth, but it, it's like a slowing plateau, kind of just yeah. exactly like the the craft beer market and the level of breweries there. It's we're definitely reaching a saturation point, and you know, I thought maybe we weren't seeing much growth in the club because there was so much craft beer available, and it was so much easier to just go out and buy something good instead of brew it and spend thousands of dollars trying to do it. I'll give you another theory. I think millennials are scared of getting hands-on with things, well, and I think we need to embolden them. I think I think the next generation is being a lot more health conscious. Um, so I know there are a lot of reports that say by what was it twenty twenty two or something like that, twenty percent of the craft beer market's going to be going towards sparkling soda. Like oh yes, White Claws. Sure. Truly yeah, White Claws are really good for you guys. Drink tons of White Claw. <laughs> it's so good for you. <laughs> No, it's the, it's worse for you than beer. No one beer has that. vitamins and minerals. White Claw is terrible alcohol poured into sparkling water. You will die, and it will extract the <laughs> phosphorus from your bones. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to argue there. I completely agree, but it's clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that means you know less what, things. What if we make a clear beer, <laughs> Michael? <laughs> I don't want to ask, I don't want to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> Drink more pilsner. <laughs> um or or actually also just NA breweries. Um Mm-mm. You don't you don't think that's I mean that is a trend though. Non-alcoholic? Yeah. Not in America. So yeah. so the the that's interesting. Do you do you think there there are outside of the US though? So we actually recently did a talk we try to do oh yeah educational okay. meeting every single month and uh, a couple months ago um my wife actually uh did a talk on non-alcoholic beer growth um and the different methods that are being developed for non-alcoholic beer uh the u.s market is very 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 slowly growing compared to uh europe mm-hmm. europe is currently on a upwards trend for non-alcoholic beer, and I think that's mostly because people are being more health conscious. Um, people are realizing that maybe alcohol is not so good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because there's a lot of new methods that are being developed in order to make non-alcoholic beer, it's becoming easier to do. Um, and quite frankly, it's becoming more flavorful. There's a lot more options now that are available, and here in the U.S., we don't see that. So, uh, what was it, two guests, podcast guests ago, I had uh, the guys from Athletic Brewing Company based out of Connecticut here, mm. and they have the the first, um, as far as they knew and as far as I could tell, the first NA tap room. So they have a bunch of tap handles devoted to their own non-alcoholic beer that they make there in the tap room, but then they also distribute their beer, um, well... In addition, because it's a, technically a food product, they can sell it on Amazon and online e-commerce. Uh, but they also uh, distribute through Total Wine across the U.S. And uh, what I really thought was interesting that was they're part of their Connecticut Brewers Guild, and a lot of the breweries in their area, like two rows, two roads is right down the street from them. There are tap handles devoted to their NA beer throughout, like the state of Connecticut, supposedly. So I thought that was interesting. I think that that could be a thing, maybe at least to have. I mean, I know at at, at one of the breweries here that I work at. Uh, um, shout out to Akasha. Uh, and we always have a kombucha on tap. Just totally, because we want that. We want to have another option for somebody. I guess for some reason, only because you all have made the points for it so convincingly. I want to come back and hit against your points just to play devil's advocate, perhaps. Yeah. There's no such thing as non-alcoholic beer. 
low 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 alcohol. No. Point point five percent. Yeah. No. That's just barley water. There's just no such thing as non-alcoholic beer. If you don't want to drink, don't drink. Wait, all right. What, what's, what's beer? Beer is barley, hops, water, and yeast. It's fermented. Yes. All right. So it's it's low low alcohol, 0.5%. It's been fermented. Okay. It has to be at least 3% too. That's in the uh, Rheingestalt version <laughs> 3.0. I think I read that in a medieval text somewhere. Okay. All I'm saying is I appreciate that, but... Uh, the metaphor that I'm drawing in my mind is Star Trek: The Next Generation. What, what, what if it? What if it tastes the same? So synthahol is what you're you're basically propositioning. Yeah. Well, when Scotty got pulled out of uh, transporter, <laughs> uh, cryogenic state or not cryogenic, but transporter stasis, and brought into the 22nd century of Star Trek: The Next Generation. This is very oddly specific. Yeah, it's an episode. Oh, yeah. He had to. He had to. Uh, I think old, it's called he, Relics. Perhaps. Yeah, he's a lot older. And yeah, fat yeah. And fatter. And like wiser, perhaps, Michael. <laughs> but he was not a fan of their synthahol that they were trying to push. He's like, hey, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So don't try to get the benefits of booze, which is to me, society. Alcohol lowers inhibitions. It does have a deteriorating or a deleterious effect on the human mind and the human body. But if there is a negative effect, there must also be a positive effect if we're going to take Newton seriously. Mm. So everything in moderation, my friends. Everything in moderation. We see so many species without, you know, throughout the animal kingdom use fermented fruit as a That's the drunken monkey fun. hypothesis, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I understand your point. You, you know, that not. I don't think beer's going away it's here to stay for sure so you know so is any type of alcohol but um i definitely see na being more popular if the choices were presented to me i would definitely consider it more i would never do it <laughs> i would never ever never oh, i'll bring in some samples sometime no <laughs> and, then, and then you'll become a brewgrass homebrew supply nope non-alcoholic person <laughs> um speaking of which what is the craziest thing either you two have, have made have brewed Just like the most off the wall, why are we doing this again? Usually those have to do with my partner in Boy Meets Wart, uh, Ricky, shout out. So we did one for the beer trade this year that was like a pastry stout, which basically means like a sugar infused, like above 10% ABV, mm-hmm. dark beer. And then he came over here one day and was like, all right, I'm going to add the stuff to it. I was like, okay. And then he dumped in two boxes of vanilla wafers. Uh, he scooped in like two jars of like almond butter. He put like two bags of toffee candy into it. And there was some, we also added bourbon and maple. To me, that's a, that's a blasphemy against uh, Ninkasi and I don't like it, but the beer turned out good. For people who like that kind of thing, <laughs> it was really good. It Your was also, also was pretty good. You guys did a big stout. It was it was really sweet, but it was pretty, pretty good. Um, I mean, yeah, we did a pastry stout this year too. It was it was really really big, um, bigger than anything we've done before. I mean, the finishing gravity was like ten seventy. It was bigger than most of our starting beers. Um, but in terms of crazy things, I mean, we, we like to experiment with wild fermentation. Um, so we actually got a yeast that we tried to harvest from uh, suspended honey. Ooh, uh, really? I don't yeah. think I heard about that. So honey is, it, it's not antimicrobial. It, it's antimicrobial in the sense that nothing can grow because there's so much Enzymes. sugar in it. Yeah. Um, but if you dilute it, you start freeing up some of the, the active microbes in there and and letting them ferment because they're not seized by by so much sugar they're they're they have the capability to ferment without dying um and so we got a strain that was oddly fruity uh but and i god i still regret not sending this over to a lab but um i think there was some uh some blue cheesiness to it it definitely looked blue uh it tasted like blue cheese I think that that might be up there in terms of some of the craziest things I've ever drank. Um, But every beer nerd right now is like, 
at least semi. I, wanting I mean, to try that. You should have seen the pellicle on this thing. It legitimately, legitimately was blue. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to trying things. Totally, man. Same here. All right, guys. I don't want to take up any more of your time tonight, um, but I do appreciate you both coming on. For everybody else, if you're in Kentucky and interested in homebrewing, look John up sometime at Brewgrass Homebrew Supply and uh, Greg with the Loggers Club here in Louisville. Uh, or if you're anywhere else, um, check out the Homebrewers Association to find your local chapter. And remember, relax. Have a homebrew. <laughs>